Chapter 25 of The Astonishing History of Troy Town by Sir Arthur Thomas Quillacooch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 25 Which Ends the Story of Troy. The wedding took place in less than two months after Mr. Fogo's dinner party. A longer interval would have proved, I believe, fatal to both Peter and Paul, who wore themselves thin over small anxieties from the trousseau to the cake. Three days before the wedding, for instance, they rode down to Kit's house and awoke Caleb at 4.30 a.m. by throwing gravel against his window. "'Oh, it is you,' said Caleb, as he thrust open the lattice. "'What's amiss now?' "'We've been considering which of us two is to get Tams in a way.' "'Toss up.' "'We have tossed up, scores of times.' "'Well?' "'The results,' said Peter gravely, "'is versified.' "'What?' "'Otherwise various.' The results is various, inclining to Paul. Well, let Paul do it. Peter is older, objected Paul. By three minutes, which don't fairly count, put in Peter. Peter, observed Caleb, looks the older, by full three minutes. Paul went to school out for me, said Peter, by two days, along a measles. Look here, decided Caleb, let Paul gear away, as you, being the better spokesman, can propose the health of the bride and bridegroom. This satisfied them, and so it was arranged at the wedding. I'm not going to describe the ceremony, at which I had the privilege of holding my friend's hat, beyond saying that woman, as is usual on these occasions, was a success, and man a dismal failure. There was one exception. When little Susie Clemo, who at Mr. Fogo's expressed desire was one of the bridesmaids, identified the bridegroom with the strange gentleman who had frightened her in the lane, and burst into loud screams in the middle of the surface, I could not sufficiently admire the readiness with which Peter Dearlove produced a packet of brandy-balls from his tall pocket to comfort her, or the presence which led him to bring such confectionery to a wedding. At the breakfast, too, which, ain't the dimensions of the Dearlove's cottage, was perforce select, Peter again shone. In proposing the health of Mr. and Mrs. Fogo, he said, "'On an occasion like the present, it becomes us not a repine. These things are sent us for our good.' Here he looked doubtfully at the cake. "'And one man's meat is another's poison, which I hopes, severely, you know without my telling ye. I shouldn't wonder if Paul and me was to draw lots one of these fine days as to which us should take the pledge—I mean the plunge—and go and scarify yourself upon the eye menial altar.' Immense excitement at this point prevailed among certain elderly spinsters present. "'That was a joke,' the speaker, with sudden and stony solemnity. "'and I hopes twill be took in the spirit in which twas meant. "'And with that I guess he damns himself and that old P. Fogo Esquire, "'to whom she's been this day made man and wife, "'and bless them and their dear offspring.' "'At this point he was sitting down when Paul leaned across and whispered in his ear. "'Now you're right, Paul,' said the orator, "'or offsprings. "'Bless their dear offspring or offsprings, as the case may be.' "'He resumed his seat amid frantic applause.' The twins alone escorted the bride and bridegroom to the railway station, and with the accident that there befell, the chronicle of Mr. Fogo's adventures may for the present close. While the brothers saw Tams into her carriage, and with their white waistcoats and gigantic favours planted all in the breast of the travelling public, the bridegroom dived into the booking office to take the tickets for London, for Mr. and Mrs. Fogo were to spend some days in the metropolis before crossing the Channel. Now it so happened that in the booking office there hung a gorgeous advertisement of one of the principal steamship companies, representing a painted ship 
the SS Popocatapetl, upon a painted ocean, with a deckload of passengers in all varieties of national and fancy costume. Mr. Fogo, as his eye rested on this company, halted and looked more closely. "'That Highlander,' he said, "'is out of drawing.' Purse in hand, he paused before the advertisement, and slowly yielded to its spell. His eyes grew fixed and glassy. Tickets, train, and waiting bride had passed out of his mind. Mr. Fogo's fit was upon him. Meanwhile the twins, unconscious of the flight of time and untutored in the ways of locomotives, were loading their sister with parting advice. "'This era,' remarked Peter, pulling a bulky parcel from his pocket, "'contains a variety of useful articles for travelling, which I've reckoned up during the past week and meant to have thee the last moment. There's a wax candle and a box of lucifers for the tunnels, and a roll of diaclum parts lester in case of injury, and Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you should tire looking out at the windy.' and Thorley's Food for Cattle Almanac, for the last thirteen year, all done up separate, and addressed to Mr. B. Dear Love, Juxty Troy. About this last, I want Mr. Forgo to post one at every station's where you stops, so as you may know you've got there safe. I see, broke in Paul, who had been spelling through the notices with which the carriage was adorned. There's a fine not exceeding six-ditch shilling if you communicates with the guard without reason, and worse if you cuts the cushions or damages the compartment. You'd best call Mr. Fogo's attention to that. I warn you not to get out while the train's in motion. But you was always thoughtful, Tamsin. God bless thee, little maid. It made my head swim a whiles to think upon the times I've danced ye upon my knee, and now you're my married woman. God bless you both, my dear brothers. Amazing, said Paul. I see the company won't hold itself liable. There was a slamming of doors, a shriek of the whistle, and the train began to move away. At the same moment, Mr. Fogo darted out of the booking office and came tearing up the platform. "'Where's my wife?' he cried. "'Which carriage?' It was too late. The carriage was already beyond the platform, and the train had gathered speed. But presence of mind belongs not to experience only. At the end of the train was hitched an emptied clay truck, bound on a return journey to Five Lanes Junction. Quick as thought, the twins, as Mr. Fogo rushed up to them, caught him by the coat-collar and seat of his trousers, and with one timely heave sent him flying into this. When he staggered to his feet, hatless, without spectacles, and besmeared with clay from head to foot, the train was fifty yards beyond the station. And so, staring back mournfully at the little group upon the platform, he vanished from their sight. "'That,' said Peter, turning slowly to his brother, "'was nibby-gibby.' "'Times it might have communicated with the guard,' responded Paul. "'Only that, without sufficient reason,' would have been not exceeding sixty shilling. Do you think would have been sold sufficient reason? Oh, I don't know. I reckon they might have made a two-pound ten, all things considered, said his brother thoughtfully, but there's no knowing. It is always hateful to say good-bye to friends, and here, with his leave, the reader shall be left to guess on the later fortunes of Tamsin and Mr. Fogo, the twins, and Caleb. He, if he care, and the fates so order it, he shall some day follow them through new adventures but it will be far from Troytown, and for the present they shall fare as his imagination pleases. Of Tamsin, however, who is thus left with her good or sorry fortune before her, something shall be hinted. Public opinion at Troy condemned her marriage. As Miss Limpany neatly asked, "'If we were all to marry beneath us, pray where should we stop?' "'Go on,' replied the Admiral, "'ad libitum.' I'm inclined to think he meant— ad infinitum, 
but the argument is quite as cogent as it stands. And yet, since they returned to Kit's house, which they did after an absence of three years, Mr. and Mrs. Fogo have been called upon by the Camille foe. Some months ago the Admiral buttonholed me in the street. "'I say, who are all those people staying with, with your friends? I mean, the strangers I saw in church yesterday. Very creditable lot, upon my word.' "'I'm glad you approve of them,' I answered gravely. "'The lady with the spectacles is Miss Gamma Gurton, the novelist of agnosticism. The tall man in black, Thomas Daniel, the critic.' "'Oh, literary people!' "'Quite. Then there is Sir Inchcape Bell, the great engineer, and Lady Judy Twitchit, her husband.' Uh, the young man with the bald hat, sits for Hawkeyborough, you know, and will be in the cabinet with the next. But the Admiral was already hurrying down the street. That very afternoon he took his family up to Kit's house to call, and has been calling at short intervals ever since. The Goodwin Sandys, unless we are sharper than the police, we shall never see again. So close was the pursuit, however, that they were forced to leave the portmanteau in the cloakroom at Paddington Station, where it was discovered and opened. It contained a highly curious clockwork toy, and enough dynamite to raise St. Paul's to the ground. Even without exploding, it converted three statesmen to home rule. Mr. Moggeridge's resignation of his post in the customs was received without expressed regret. He has since married Sophia Buzzer, and edits a conservative paper in Wales. I see that another volume of his perverse is in the press. It is to be called Throbs and Other Trifles and will include the epithalamium written by him for his own nuptials, as well as his Farewell to Troy, a composition which Mrs. Buzzer said she defied you to read, without feeling as if geese were walking over your grave. Sam Buzzer has gone to college. And what of Troy Town? By degrees, the old phrases, old catchwords and old opinions have come to reign again. Troy's unchanged loveliness, too, the daily round full of experiences familiar as old friends, the dear monotony of sight and sound in the little port, all have made for healing and oblivion. If you question us on a certain three months in our life, the chances are you will get no answer. We have agreed to forget, you see, and so we are beginning to persuade ourselves, almost, that those months have never been. Almost. But as a fact, Mrs. Buzzer had been right. It will never be the same again. Never. Something we have lost, and I think that something is Troy. For strangers have come amongst us and have formed a society of their own. The town is grown out of our knowledge. They have built and are building mansions of stucco and a hotel of hideous brick. A fifth-rate race meeting threatens the antique regatta, and before all this the savour of Trajan life is departing. Lillian is down, and by no assault of war. And yet, the evening before last, I passed up the road in front of number one, Alma Villas. The air was warm, and through the half-opened window, a voice stole out. In the great exhibition of 1851, my dear, Her Majesty the Queen, while partaking of luncheon... End of chapter 25 End of the Astonishing History of Troy Town by Sir Arthur Thomas Quillacooch.